Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Not So Super Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Matt Curley, and I'm joined by my co-host. Hey, Brennan Kahn. Welcome to Not So Super Podcast. And here we are. We've been talking about doing this for a little bit, um, yeah. and we're finally we're finally getting into it. Here we are, uh, man. So, you know, the whole point of the podcast that we want to do is talk about comic books that or graphic novels or whatever the hell you want to call them. Talk about these graphic novels that aren't necessarily superhero comics. You know, of course, the comics and graphic novel world is dominated by superhero comic books and graphic novels, but um, I'm just going to call them comic books. Let's just get that just out there. Comic the, books. I, I think that's safe. They're com- They're all comic books. I know, like, personally, my distinction is that, like, if it's... It's the length, right? I mean, graphic novel versus I mean, comic books. Personally, all right, we're getting off on a tangent here. It's fine though. So to me, a comic book, a, a comic book <laughs> That's is what it's all about. <laughs> uh, to me, a comic book is essentially a single issue or almost like the chapter, and a graphic novel is the entire thing because it's like a book. It's like a novel. That's but that's but that's a personal definition. That's so. These collected we'll things that we're going to be looking at will be more graphic novel based, unless we do something like. I don't know, Scott Pilgrim or something like that, where that's six. Yeah. Although, but we wouldn't do necessarily one, so I guess we would. I don't know. We'll get to that bridge if we I kind of I kind of look at it as, like, we're looking at more independent-minded artists and writers and creators. Um, yeah. Be- because the one for today, I think, was put out by Dark Horse. It is. Um, and we've looked at ones that, you know, might be put out by Image or... Uh, the Sean Murphy one that I don't know who puts it out, but it's it's really like more of the underground, like indie-minded artists and creators who we're looking at. And it's one of those things where I almost hate that title of indie because it's always used wrong. Like to me, independent and like actually the definition of independent means that it is like there are definitely independent comics out there. And those are the comics that are put out and paid for by people. So like like uh you know, a little backstory. Brennan is is drawing his own graphic novel and is and is right. writing it and is probably going to put it out and pay for it himself. That would be to me truly independent. But once you get put out by somebody like Oni or Dark Horse or then it's no longer and, considered independent. Yeah, indie, I mean, like yeah. right. While I mean, it, and it is, I think overall, which I think is a problem because because they aren't because yes, those are smaller companies. They're not the big two. They're not Marvel, DC, but they're still not independent. There's still a company structure behind that and, and everything. So, uh, and, then, just, and then there's also the idea of like that we're not considering just like superhero comics in general because they do take up so much space in reviews and podcasts and everything. So I think that I think the people get an idea. Yeah, I mean, I think I think, and the other thing, the reason I didn't want to even call this because at one point we talked about just doing indie comics, but I was like, I don't want to do just indie comics then because that that excludes so many other good things. Like Vertigo is owned by DC. It right. is a it is a so it is by no means independent, but they put out a lot of not superhero things that I think is really good, like um, like Sean Murphy's work. Uh, he he does a lot of stuff through them. Um, I know uh, Grant Morrison does a lot of good stuff through that through oh, Vertigo, yeah. so it's just one of those things where, and, and I'm not saying that we might never, we might ne- you know never review a superhero one like one book one book that I love that is kind of got superheroes in it that doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily a superhero 
comic is um, Paul Dini's The Dark Knight, which is about, um, which is like an autobiographical thing uh, that he did about when he got mugged, and and it, oh, wow. it's very powerful, and it's definitely something I'd love to talk about eventually. Um, and and Batman is in that, but Batman is in that because he was working on Batman <laughs> at the time. He was yeah. working on the animated series, and he he personifies kind of those voices that you have in your head. He was personifying that in um, in that in that uh, graphic novel where like the Joker represents the voice in your head that just says, "Sit down, have a drink. You don't need to do anything." And then Batman's kind of the hard ass version uh, of yourself that's in your head, getting like, "Get up! You need to get up and get back to work, and you need to be, you know." So he's like expressing like in an autobiographical way, like his own neuroses or his experience. So, so yeah, I think that that kind of fits into this flavor of podcast. And so that's why that's what that's what we want to make clear is that these are not we're not saying that these are indie books we're just saying that these are books that don't have that don't necessarily have superheroes in them or focus on superheroes and and then the books that kind of get the least amount of attention especially with all of the superhero movies which i i mean we both personally love like we love you know i love right. all the marvel movies dc could use some better movies but we love them so uh, i think that's you know disclaimer over i think i think the point's gotten across yeah, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty clear what we're all about, and uh, uh, definitely tangents included, like uh, everything from uh, uh, our own personal lives or what we're writing or working on included um, in this podcast. So let's let's get right away, I guess, to um, let's get to what we're talking about today, which is Apocalyptic Girl, uh, something that is creator owned but not creator distributed, like we were just talking about. It's put out through Dark Horse. But Andrew McLean uh, both uh, wrote this piece, and he also was the artist and colorist for this piece. I believe he was the colorist as well. First piece, I, from interviews, I understand that it's the first piece that he colored. He kind of learned how to color through this piece. Yeah, I, I know you did a lot of research on this, too, because that's something that we also want to bring right. to to these podcasts is like a little bit of backstory and a little bit of history to these books because uh, obviously we want to talk about the content but we also want to talk about what goes into creating a lot of these things because that's also something that's very interesting um did he did he mention what medium he drew and colored this in is it digital knowing andrew mclean like just be, as a follower like on social media and everything um i understand that he does like the traditional like thumbnails and layouts and storyboards uh for these and I'm almost positive that he did it for Apocalyptic Girl as well. Um, and then he moves into traditional pencil um, and then traditional inks. Oh, interesting. Uh, with some, br- some brush pens and, and brushes. Oh, that's awesome. And the, the coloring, uh, I believe, is all digital. Gorgeous for a, for a first run at a colored graphic novel. Like, it's so, it's so gorgeous. If you, if you pick it up or if you just give it a quick Google, you'll see what I mean by, like, the flatting and the coloring that he does. He, he says he drew a lot of inspirations from, like, French artists, um, not necessarily uh, graphic novelists or comic book creators. But, yeah, yeah, it's kind of an adventure. Like, I think even in some reviews it's referred to as, like, a adventure-timey, like, more simplified, minimalist look at this sort of post-apocalyptic world. So there is some, like, there's some comedy in there. There's some comic relief. Her cat, uh, main character, by the way, her name is Aria. Her cat's name is Jelly Beans. So there's that sort of cat ownership uh, relationship that is both like a sweet thing. Like at one point she has to 
save jelly beans and is also funny like you you have the the comedy yeah and let's and let's get this out right right out in front there's going to be spoilers in this like we're going to be talking about the whole story we're gonna be talking about the ending um so if you haven't read this go out pick it up read it then come back and listen to it yeah then press play this is definitely a a review not a recommendation well and it's both you know it it, well and it can be both moving forward certainly uh forward with other episodes like you know, I'll. You know, we'll, we're gonna take turns picking stuff. So, so Brennan picked this one. I'd never read it before, and so I, you know, he let me borrow his copy, and. Uh, you can have that, by the way. That's your copy. Oh, Merry Christmas. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> all those, all those comments. Fantastic. I gave you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I recommended this one because you know, like both of us, we're we're a fan of like people who are more underground, which I would consider Andrew McLean. Uh, there's not uh, too terribly many like interviews or even fewer like video interviews of this guy. He's definitely well known, but he is of the lesser well known uh, comic book artist. Now what else sure. has he done? Like let's let's go through let's start with Andrew McLean. What else has he produced? Probably most notably people know him from Headlopper, like the Headlopper series, and that is a quarterly comic. Uh, that it, he just released actually uh, the first volume of it as a graphic novel. And Headlopper is kind of nodding at some of the tones in Apocalyptic Girl is a very violent um, Nordic themed piece. So you have this character who takes part in a lot of decapitation, a lot of like medieval fun, a lot of swordsmanship. Uh, it's just really fun because, as we mentioned, like the Adventure Time sort of fun, minimalist, uh, clean line look you get in a like a medieval telling of this Nordic warrior who d- tries to fight for you know his life in a lot of senses. And it's it's like a Viking versus monster experience. Very different from Apocalyptic Girl. Apocalyptic Girl is more of like a meditative, like the world has ended. There's this big energy explosion, maybe nuclear. Well, um, and we'll get into that in a second. Uh, the plot, but yeah. Yeah, but but to your point, like Headlopper is probably his most, which is released through Image, is his most known. And then reading the back of this, so I'm looking at the back of the copy, and it's you know it says action adventure science fiction slash science fiction, and I think that describes this pretty mm-hmm. well. Right. You know, I would also say you know comedy as well. I mean, it's not overly funny, but right. like there are some really cute <clears throat> personal moments in here that I think are are really important to the story. Oh yeah. Um, so let's let, I mean let's let's dive right in. You know, I mean the first thing that we we see is. You know, is is kind of some some expository information. One of which right. is 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 describing the character's name Aria, which you know uh, I'll read the first couple panels here. But it's from the Greek and Latin uh, um, air atmosphere. The word area first shows up in relation to music sometime in the 14th century. Eventually, term comes to mean music written for a single voice, usually in regards to opera. And I think that's I mean I think that says a lot too about this character. A single voice. She's alone in this story. She's alone except for having her cat jelly beans. And so I think I think that's a beautiful. You know I love it when creators really think about the names and like there's really something behind the names of their characters. Right. I think uh, music plays a like a thematic role not just in like the naming of this character Arya, but I know at the end of the of the book, uh, it also it also plays a role. And, and like you said, like, she, she's a singular voice in this, and all that she really experiences outside of herself in this post-apocalyptic world is two, is two factions of, like, warring people who are, at this point, like, a lot more savage. 
and a lot more basic in their in their thoughts and their expressions and like very obviously violent as you as you thumb through yeah. the piece. And and so, you know, when we open the comic we see her and she's she's singing so she's singing songs from the opera Faust, you know, in another language. And uh, and she's just kind of looking at the world, which which we may not know, like we don't know this for sure. But if you read through it, you kind of understand that this may be like the only remnants of like art or music left for her. So she's got to sing it, and uh, like like a lot of other post-apocalyptic stuff, like I Am Legend, like there's you hold on to like what you remember uh, of what you've what what was left yeah. behind after the chaos. And, and of course, we're seeing you know images of an overgrown world, um, definitely a, a nature reclaiming. Uh, what man has taken definitely um, yeah and then we we see that she's you know she's found this giant robot that she's been trying to it seems like she's been trying to fix up for a while you know and then uh she she installs a new part that she found and it starts for a second and fizzles out and so it's like okay uh so you know we're still you know we're a couple pages in now at this point we're on page like eight and and there's not you know, it's still a mystery of what's going on. You know, you're starting to, you know, feel out the world. And then you get on the 10th page of this, you see this beautiful, beautiful illustration of, oh, yeah. uh, of, yeah. of the city, of this overgrown city. There's trees that are growing on these buildings. And I mean, it's just, it's, it's a really beautiful thing. Uh, and then we get in kind of to, we get into like a very uh, artsy way of kind of giving like a very mysterious way of how this world came to be in the next two pages. Now, I don't know about you, but I absolutely hated it. <laughs> now, are you talking about the story? You're talking about like how it was visually told. Both, you know, it, it okay. just it, it felt super expositiony to me, and I, and I get it. I mean, I mean, again, this is less than a hundred pages. This comes in at eighty-eight pages, so I get it. You don't have a lot of time. You're kind of giving some contextual history to the world. I understand that, like, all of this comes in at the end because it also once you get to the end, it you know, it explains a lot more of this. Yeah, it is definitely a forced thing as the reader to try to force all these things in and like enjoy the pages uh, when it is, when it does seem like a little bit of a, yeah, of like a mythic teaching and like a, like you say, exposition that's just a little hard to swallow, like because it seems forced in, like this is necessary to, for the end to make sense. And I think that that happens in a lot of sci-fi to be honest, but it does, um, and 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 the sci-fi that does it the least, you know, is 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 Star Wars, the the, the original the original one that came out in 1977, uh, which is Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. That doesn't give you really much context at all, and and I and I almost like that better as as a storytelling thing, just because it's like you, oh you figure it out and then it kind of leaves you wanting more, and I like that feeling of like oh you know I can delve in 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 the later volume or but obviously again this is a singular story he's got to get this story he's getting the story out in this one thing there's not going to necessarily be another one yeah it is it is definitely one off and and is written as such and a lot of people have problems with you know sort of the simplistic nature of this story but a lot of people at the same time that's why they love it like that's kind of why some people love and hate this particular story apocalyptic girls because it is such a quick, just bust through it, and and you and you just take in the whole story through the less than a hundred pages, and enjoy the visuals along the way. So I would recommend this to people who are looking for something to like maybe read at a coffee shop or like read like while you're on the train yeah. or maybe something less um, psychological. Right? Yeah. It's it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's a fun read. That it's got some really cool action sequences that are told 
I think, differently than other comics or or graphic novels. It's kind of, it's a fun time. It's like, it's, it's like a mixture of Adventure Time, like I said, and a Hayao Miyazaki graphic novel called Nausicaa, which is of a similar story of like a, a girl coming out of a wasteland and having to save everyone. So then getting back to it, like, at, so at this yeah. point on page 12, I was like, oh my God. I, personally, I would have stopped reading it at this point. <laughs> oh, show me, show me page, page 12. Page 12, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just a continuation. It's oh, a continuation okay. of... Of of the of, like of the, the myth, myth and the backstory, the... and I was just like, yeah. oh, this is so heavy handed. I don't know, but but honestly, the end and you know after right as soon as I got past that, I started loving it. Like when it gets back into this story. And what what made you love it? Like past the initial exposition. So once we got past that two pages of like heavy exposition, you know, then it goes right into a, an action sequence where these 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 savage dogs are start starting to chase our character Arya. Uh, and she's running for him. Mm-hmm. So now we're starting to get something. Now the, because because that's the other thing is that you know we're on page twelve, twelve thirteen, and we have no idea really what's happening yet. You know what I mean? And 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 mm-hmm. and typically, yeah, I think it was. I think I'm with you. It's heavy handed at the beginning, like right before we've had any payoff. We could have used that myth a little, maybe as a as a midpoint or something. Maybe not at all, yeah. or even like after we start getting introduced to these two tribes, because that's the introduction to the two tribes. We don't see them, and so we start seeing the uh, we start seeing both you know both tribes after this point, and we don't actually don't even see the because it's the it's the what is it? it's the gray beards and the blue stripes. We don't even see the gray mm-hmm. beards until the end. It's a it's a bit of world building that I think maybe like even I yeah I, I, it's a choice by the creator to leave in. And, uh, and that's his choice. And it may be like a lot of people love that, that world building and understanding the world deeper, but it is less than a hundred page comic or right at it. And, and also like, I mean, personally, and this is just from a personal yeah. standpoint, obviously everybody's opinion is, you know, is their own and it's valid. But, but to me, I like knowing, I like knowing what I'm, I'm getting into necessarily closer up front, or I at least like knowing my character's motivation for what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and this takes time to get into it and that's fine. You know, it's a different storytelling way, but like you know, I, that's you know that's just my opinion. So so now we get into this chase sequence with the dogs, and she ends up eventually needing to kill the dogs because just yeah, brutally murdering, brutally these murdering dogs. them with a sword. Yeah, because it's a dog eat dog world. Pun intended. It sure, it sure is. Um, <laughs> and it, it's sort of a little it's a little bit of foreshadowing of what she's capable of later with these humans and these factions. And these savages and what she needs to do to yeah, survive. Yeah, and also to just stay alive. Also, uh, you know, and she's talking, you know, she's talking about, you know, that she's not a killer, but but she but she has to be. And then she sees the dog's owners, which is one of the factions, a, a, a child from one of these factions, the Blue Stripes, and and you see a tear start to roll from this guy. This guy starts crying a little bit. You know, killed his killed his pet. So, mm-hmm. you know, but she doesn't kill yeah. him. She just walks away. And uh, and kind of walks to her lair, which is like rookie mistake. You, you gotta at least lose the <laughs> tail before you know before you go back to your lair. But you know it is what it is. And then we and this is the first that we are now seeing of kind of her her home, which she's made in a subway car, which I think is awesome. Yeah, that is a really cool part of the storytelling. The the world that that she's made and just sort of has had to make hay with uh, with abandoned uh, subway cars and overgrown things and the world sort of reclaiming yeah. itself. And the one thing we actually haven't even talked about yet 
is is the fact that uh, so like like a lot of comics, there is boxes that aren't dialogue. They're they're just like exposition boxes, and a lot of times it's the character's internal monologue, or sometimes it's a right. an omni uh, what what is it omni? It's not omnipotent. It's what is the an all seeing godlike narrator. It's not necessarily right. a character in the story. Yeah, and some in some myths, it's considered like the chorus. Like if you look back to like Greek myths and things like that, and Odysseus, like the chorus that sort of moves the exposition yeah. along as just a collective. And so, um, and so they do something really interesting in this, where it's a voice in her head, and she talks to the voice, and the voice talks back to her. So it's very <laughs> similar to what you kind of see in Deadpool. Mm-hmm. Deadpool does a little bit of that with the voices in his heads. The big difference is, of course, that that, that Deadpool is breaks the fourth wall all the time. This still stays within the world, mm-hmm. and it just really shows right. you how singular her voice is because she's talking to she's talking to herself. Yeah, it, it speaks to probably how the human psyche would deal with being alone or just with your cat jelly beans in a subway car or, or foraging for apples or whatever you're doing. And they talk about that later yeah. is that she's been there for six years. And so, you know, so she, she has crafted herself a shower and she cuts a little bit of her hair off and, you know, she's just kind of doing the, the basic motions of, you know, long, had a long day here, time to, you know, time to, to, to decompress, you know, and she's, she's getting ready for bed and, all of a sudden, she starts hearing this beeping thing, and this is the first, you know, first time I, I'm, it's the first time I noticed this wristband that she has on that starts beeping, and so, you know, she, you know, and it says it's a signal detector. So we don't know yet what the signal is, what she's detecting, but it seems, you know, like it starts detecting, and then she goes after it, and then as soon as she goes after it, the blue stripe boy whose dog she killed attacks. He's been waiting there for her, you know, and then this is. I mean, this is a big central conflict that she that she's gonna go through is with this kid. If she had just killed this kid before, not not that I'm advocating murder or excessive violence or anything <laughs> like that, but you know, the choice she made to not kill this this individual has now led. He knows where she lives. That's dangerous. And so yeah, and as we see later, like more more deaths that are necessary for her to stay a secret or, or to keep herself in a safe position. She she takes um, her awesome awesome bike by the way. And <laughs> yeah, it's sort of a sort of a long uh, this elongated bike that reminds you very much and Andrew McLean talks about this that is very much like inspired from the the Akira bike, the the really long street bike okay. that's in Akira. Uh, it's very very similar style, um, but just yeah, stylistically. And has the cool. number twenty seven on it, um, which the back of her jacket also has the number twenty seven on. Uh, well, they talk about it in the end. Um, but well, so you know, going on, she has this really cool bike. She ride, she's riding off on. She gets away, uh, and then the signal goes away, and then she loses the signal. And she talks about how like it happens every time before she can even get close to wherever the signal's coming from, it goes away, which I thought was. You know, I'm like, that's got to be the most frustrating thing ever. Because, like, what do you do? Do you, like, move your entire home to, like, the closest place you got when the signal goes out? I mean, it's... it's Right. This is her, yeah, this is her mission, as it's said. And it's also, like, her one uh, drive of, like, waking up yeah. every morning. So to fail at that again and again is is a source of frustration for her. For six and years. It's crazy. Point. So then, yeah. you know, then she, she decides, okay, well, I'm not going to waste. I'm already up. I'm out. I'm gonna go get some apples, right? So she goes into the, uh, finds some apples, and it's I love that she's sitting on she's sitting on a car that almost looks like a like a smart car, like a like a Prius smart car, <laughs> and I'm like I'm like even that right. 
yeah. covered with moss Even and Even that overgrown. couldn't save our world. And so and she's <laughs> eating, she's having a good time when all of a sudden who shows up? Oh, it's the it's the, you know, the blue stripes. And they and they have guns and they're speaking another language she doesn't necessarily understand. And uh, and then as soon as they attack, she chops one of the guy's arms off. Yeah, it's it's like very gory and brutal and uh, like with reckless abandon he draws these these situations of deliming people, decapitating and one of the uh, things that's yeah. also interesting is that I think she talks about in this that she's not a murderer, you're not a murderer, and yet she kills these people pretty easily. Yeah, almost as if trained or, yeah, had spent years training how Some to programming herself. takes over or something like that, but... Yeah, yeah, never really spelled but she, out. So she kills those guys and they run away. Uh, and then she realizes that her cat's gone. Her cat, her cat has run away, and this is her only friend. So of course she freaks out. Yeah, and you, I really felt that. I mean, like this probably more so as like a, um, like a emotional effect on me as a reader. Like this had the most emotional effect when she lost her cat. Like when Jelly Beans was like, oh my god, is Jelly Beans dead? That really to me was. I don't know if he meant this to be like the arc, but this really, to me, was more climactic than than at than toward the end when she was trying to um, <clears throat> escape. Yeah, these so savages. now okay, so now she's she's attacked the dogs and, and then that sets up the, the the conflict she has with the young boy of the blue stripes. You know, now she's killed one of the blue stripes with her futuristic bike. So now she's got two different conflicts with that same, you know, tribe. And then she goes back to where we find her She's pissed both of them off basically not a good place to be in definitely pissed off a couple groups in this tribe and then you know we see her going back to originally where where she she starts the story off at where we find her originally and and she talks about earlier that this is where uh she originally met jelly beans and that uh this is where he usually goes he or she i don't know if jelly beans is a boy or girl uh but I was I read it as a girl, but I don't. That's remember. fair enough. I mean, I don't think there's any <laughs> distinction. I don't think it really matters. I mean, right. I know at one point she does say, you know, to the internal monologue that like, you know, you treat you, you talking to him, you, you you talk you talk to Jelly Beans as if he's your boyfriend. So I think Jelly Beans is a boy. Oh okay, yeah, good point. Um, I remember that. But you know, whatever, gender, yeah, who cares? Uh, <laughs> it's who all cares, fluid. Man? It's, it's Jelly, Jelly Beans. beans. <laughs> uh, and so you know, so she finds Jelly Beans and. You know, they're reunited. It's great. But then, of course, we see, you know, and then she continues to try and work on this, the, the giant golem-esque robot that she found. And then we see the blue stripes that she just attacked and she just killed one of. They're all pissed at her and now they're watching her, you know, and they're trying to, <laughs> and they're talk they're talking about her right. bike. And then, you know, then, the, then of course, they meet up with the, the younger one whose dogs she killed. The younger one essentially tells them, like, you know, I know where she lives. Right this way, leads leads them to where she lives. So she, you know, she she leaves uh, towards home, and you know, I think I think in here it, 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 she gets home, and she starts her nightly routine. She takes her she takes all of her um, her gear off, all like the beeping mechanism and all that stuff. She gets ready to sleep, and uh, and these the blue stripe tribe kind of, you know, they. They're invading her space and they're going for the bike. They want the bike, you know. They're like, "This is, you know, a very big weapon. Let it's ours. Let's get it." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they they want any sort of uh, leverage they can, like any big gun or, uh, and, and they really have it out for her. Like they they want her, um, you know. Eventually, they just 
they're just all about taking yeah, it and out. Then, <laughs> and then we see she gets this message, um, and it says, Mail to Arya from Handler. Keep up the good work. That's it. And and she gets pissed because and that's when she reveals it's been six years. So whatever her mission is, she's been on it for six right. years and she's done. She wants to go home. She's so over all of this, right? Um, right. And then it's around there where the uh, the tribe starts a shooting, starts attacking her, uh, and then she pulls out her own artillery and starts firing back. And you know, again, kills all these guys. For someone who's not a murderer, she's really good at killing. Uh, <laughs> And then, and then when they attack over, she realizes that her her detector is gone. The thing that her 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 sole object for helping her complete her mission to end her time here, uh, on, on, uh, you know, in this yeah, her in this one place out. is gone now. Uh, that the younger blue stripe boy has taken it, and so she freaks out, of course, and like starts you know chasing after him. Uh, and then by the time he gets away. Uh, she also realizes that Jelly Beans is now missing as well, again. So, you know, now, you know, her best friend and her only friend is gone. Uh, the the one thing that helps her complete her mission is gone. Like, you know, she kind of goes out on a tear and, uh, and starts to just, you know, wreak havoc on everybody. She's taxed, you know, she... She starts in, and um, we start seeing. This is where we kind of see. This is page fifty-two. We see the first appearance of the Greybeard, and, right. and the Greybeard is attacking the Blue Stripes, and then she just shows up and kills everybody. Yeah, just her rage sets in, and like these past six years, all have been building up and pent up inside of her, and whatever sort of uh, combat training that she's had to be able to just take out all these people, she unleashes and. She just um, she just goes yeah. for it. It's visually pretty stunning. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, strong. these tears from the sun are what they're called. Uh, show up, and they look essentially like missiles. Like I, that's what I take them for is that they're missiles. You're talking about like the mechs, the, oh, no. the robots. Before that happens, there's these these sh- yellow streaks that show up, which right, might be right. from the mechs. I don't know if they ever say if it is from them. Is it from like the mechs or have been planted, like they've been shot into the ground, kind of thing, like a War of the World style. No, I don't think so. Like they look straight up like missiles because they knock her out unconscious, and and, there, and a mushroom cloud happens after they hit the ground, and then she's knocked unconscious, and and then we see you know we see Arya on a beach, and in a white dress, and hearing her mom calling for her, and then it, clearly it's a dream because then all of a sudden she starts seeing like the river of blood, which is I think her guilt starts surfacing because you mm-hmm. see the dead dogs. And you see the uh, mm-hmm. and you see the young blue stripe boy who's and they're all making the sound that her, you know, wrist communicator makes. Yeah, there's almost like this this weird sympathy with him or like a like a familiarity, or like a kindredship. You, visually, it's never it's never really spelled out. But I just took it as a reader that she she doesn't want to harm these people. You don't think, but when looking at the violence, you could kind of say, well, you know, um, she's definitely not a pacifist, but she she perhaps sympathizes with these people, especially the boy and for, the dogs. For a, a point, because right after she sees this image of, you know, that she wake, she wakes up and she sees the the boy killing these bluebeards and, like, savagely, like, chopping off their heads. Yeah. And then, like, it, like there's almost this panel of, like, you know, where she, she just kind of realizes, no, he's no different than the rest of them. And then, she, you know, 
yeah, this animalistic nature of this person, like um, they're reverting back to just violence and dominator culture. He starts running after her, and he she shoots his arm off and says, "Don't make me, don't make me do it." And then she just says, "I'm sorry." And yeah, then then she doesn't even get a chance to kill him because now the mechs show up. These giant mechanical suits show up and they stomp on the kid which i think this was something interesting and it's something i you know i thought about a little bit so it seems like there's even a third existence so like there's this there's this blue stripe tribe there's the gray beard tribe now it looks like there's an introduction of a more advanced still and from some uh mclean interviews andrew mclean he speaks about like humans having to, to flee this this earth or this planet that has been overrun, and there are, there are remainders sort of Mad Max style, who people who fight over resources like these savage uh, factions. But, but you know, perhaps the people who are more advanced were able to, to split, and, uh, and, and they exist and, out there. And there's also this also constant, you know, again, Arya, the, the single voice, one. We constantly are seeing one mm-hmm. throughout this. Like, you know, the mech that she's trying to fix up, the mech suit she's trying to fix up, behind it, it says one. Um, with like an something mm-hmm. that kind of almost looks like an atom. Uh, there's all of their suits mm-hmm. say one, as if so. It's one of those things where I'm mm-hmm. like, is one a company? Is it? Is it like what is the significance? Right. Is it the Skynet of this <laughs> universe, or is it the is it the good or bad AI? You know, these these are sort of thing. These are things more answered toward right. the where, end. So so one. Um, you know, the, and, and again, it just goes with the theme of a singular voice. One. And so she, you know, obviously she's shot off the the arm of the boy, and so she gets her device back. And with the arrival of these mechs, you know, some rubble has been disrupted, some earth has moved, and has opened a a passageway to underground. And, you know, this is kind of the path, you know, the signal starts going off again, and it turns out that one of the reasons the signal kept getting interrupted on her is because it was underground, it was blocked by all this rubble. The rubble's gone now, and so she's able to now venture deep into this area to, to complete her mission, to find what she's been looking for. And it's revealed to be, um, you know, this perfect energy, a gift from above, is what it's, you know, listing here on page 67 of it. And, and it's, it's the Grand Photon, is what it's called. And, and, and they kind of talk about it, you know, and they allude to it in... You know, back back on page ten, when they're talking about the gift from the sun, and you know, obviously the sun a lot of times is is considered sky, in a lot of mythologies, and so, you know, this is a gift from the sun. It's it's a grand photon which apparently has enough energy to power everything. It's it's an unlimited source of energy. And this this you know, in my mind, is giving us a backstory of perhaps what destroyed everything or what leveled everything uh, from a human existence standpoint and unlivable well yeah and 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 even it even talks about it in those exposition pages where it says that they fought over this gift from the sun and 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 people claim that we are the one people of the sun you are not you are not worthy of this and so that's i mean it's and it's kind of an allegory for um for religion it's very much the same way that religion is where it's very divisive and it's very you know like a religion was created based off of uh, this this grand photon that came from the sun, um, and, and and this source of energy. So instead of sharing it with everybody, of course they fought over it because that's human nature. 
Uh, and so that's a, it's an interesting comparison that, that that's being made there. And then, of course, she finds it. And then, you know, and then it seems like now that she's found it, okay, great. I have to stay by it and someone's going to come retrieve it. They're going to come retrieve me. But then she's like, I need to go find jelly beans. I can't leave without my cat. Yes. The, to me, the most, the most compelling <laughs> story connection is her seeking out her, her yeah, lost friend. Yeah, and so friend. she she um, takes off on her cycle being pursued by all these mechs because uh, they think, you know, like, what does she know or what is she doing, you know? They don't know that she's just found the Grand Photon, which is what they are also looking for. And so she runs off to get jelly beans. They're chasing after her. Um, the images are beautiful. You get a lot more of a uh, a, a, an overview of the city and what's going on, and all the while, this um, <coughs> excuse me, this pyramid is ascending from the heavens and is transforming, and that's also an interesting connotation of you know it's just it is what it is. It's this, it's a pyramid, and uh, and it transforms, and it goes upside down, like it transforms almost into a star of David, and then. Like, almost just to flip itself. Like, instead of turning around, it instead transforms. Yeah, it's 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 kind of through the sequential R. You get an idea. It's this undulating starship that's, like, two pyramids sort of uh, squashed into each other, forming the Star of David-looking uh, three-dimensional object that's sort of undulating and moving in and out of itself. Uh, definitely signifying, like... Uh, a more advanced race, or not necessarily race, but like um, s- subsect of humans, humans than the people who are warring um, in, for, in a religious yeah. perspective down there. And so she, she gets jelly beans, um, and then she is, you know, now she needs to get back uh, to, to where the ship is. And so she's. And she's got these mechs after her, so she's now this this mech that she's been working on this entire time. She finally gets it to start up, so she can do some <laughs> damage against some of these other mechs. Um, and so she goes to work on them. You know, she fights these other mechs, and then you know, all the while we're getting cutscenes back to back to the the Grand Photon being taken up from where it was into this ship from outer space, and then a couple of beings come down from the ship. And they're looking for Arya. They're looking. They're like, "Where is she?" Uh, and these like kind of like heavenly, robotic seeming buildings or beings, uh, that, with a red triangle on their the red triangle that obviously just descended from the heavens on their foreheads. Right. Uh, so clearly, you know, they're related in some way. And she is now. So yeah. So like they're looking for Arya, and Arya has has managed to. Defeat all the mechs that are after her, but now she's still got to get to, you know, now she's still got to get back to this pyramid because this is her ticket out. Yeah, she's not free. She's not out of the woods yet. So she's, she steals one of the other mechs and she flies, um, she flies back to this area and, and the beings say we've got incoming and Arya like jumps out and, and it's all fine. They stand down They're like, okay, great. There you are. And they're. You know, I, I love I love this line. It's like you are in breach of protocol. Why did you abandon the extraction <laughs> point? And she says, "I had to get my cat." Yeah, give me a give me a break, basically. Yeah, like I had to get my cat, dude. <laughs> All right, back off, buddy. I found it, didn't I? You know. And then the next scene. Now we're on the sh- you know we're on this ship, 
that is or- orbiting this Earth, and and now we're seeing holographic images of a bunch of planets with numbers around them, and we see that the Earth that she was on is Earth twenty seven. So that explains the reason that mm-hmm. there's twenty seven on right. her jacket. There's right. twenty seven on her bike. She's on Earth twenty seven or planet twenty seven. Yeah, and how many other of these situations or like experiments have been going on? Or right, it's it's e it's e zero. Uh, two seven. So it's 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 just interesting, and apparently, you know, it just seems like. And she's talking to this kind of Lady Gaga looking character. <laughs> yeah. And she's thinking about, you know, and you know, they're talking about the planet, and it seems it's kind of revealed through the dialogue that it seems like this is where the Grand Photon came from. Was these people almost a, like to help advance, you know, this culture wherever it was, and it turned out it destroyed them. So they're retrieving. What was theirs? Uh, what was they originally gifted? Right, this technology was gifted to these people to help them bust out of some sort of like uh, growth barrier or like cultural like. Or re- to help them advance, you yeah, know. Yeah, just to help them advance along and like grow out of whatever sort of current civilization they have. She does call it Earth Twenty Seven in this. She says, "Can those Earth Twenty Seven right their uh, crumbling ship?" So essentially, it's it's called Earth Twenty Seven, and. And she's saying that, like, do you think that there's hope for these people, or should we just destroy it? And and we have this page of Arya thinking on her time and what she saw, and it's just like it's just a red page. You know, it's like the first, the top three panels. It's six panels. The top three panels are of the the three different factions: the blue, the blue stripes, the gray beards, and the mechs, and the dogs, and then the boy. You know, and so you can see that she's thinking about all this evil that's on this planet. Right. But then the last panel is Jellybean, and it's this white panel amongst all these red panels. Yeah, that's a that's a very you know um, important page, or like a there's a lot of information on that page. I think as far yeah. as the whole story is concerned. And then the next page is is she's next to Jellybeans, and Jellybeans is looking and binging, uh, like you know, like kind of like batting at these holograph uh, holograms of planets and she's starting to think about the good times that she's had with jelly beans in you know in in their home that she created singing and walking along she's thinking about uh it looks like the wildlife that's there um the mech that she worked on uh the entire you know the entire time that she was there and then she just kind of scratches uh jelly beans head and says you know let it be let let earth 27 be please um you know and then you know, and it's it's this beautiful kind of moment where and and by let it be like, can you don't clarify on that? It. Yeah, don't yeah. don't destroy it. Don't take it out of existence. Leave those people on their planet, and yeah. and you know, there is beauty there. There's there's good there. There's hope. Yeah, there's hope. Right. And and you know, then this being asks her, if I may, I I've read your field reports why would you spare number 27 of course this entire time for these six years she's been giving in field reports talking about how terrible all these people in or how, how these how terrible these people are and and what she's experienced on this earth and you know she just kind of looks at jelly beans and says it's our home you know and then you know she doesn't go back you know it's not like one of those things where she's like oh i want to go back there or anything like that but like she looks at it you know, at the end of the story, and she's singing again. You know, and and, and her and Jelly Beans are on the space station looking out at the planet, and you know she and the story ends with her singing in a single voice, her namesake. So I think you know, 
it, it's a, I think it's a beautiful story, and I loved the ending. That's one of the things that sold the story to me, too, was the ending, because I absolutely loved it. Yeah, I um, really needed that ending. <laughs> and so, you know, and especially, like, kind of, then you know, after you get to the end, it kind of makes all the sense. Everything kind of falls into place. Everything makes sense. The reason this war started was because of the Grand Photon. She sent, you know, to get the Grand Photon and search for it. It's clearly been lost she t- it takes her six years, and, and so that kind of puts her in this world why she's alone, why she's different from all these other people, because she doesn't belong there. So I think it's interesting. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely worth a read. Like after, after the full review, you know, just sort of to, um, to bring everything together, it's, def- it's definitely worth a read. Uh, like we mentioned, it's, it's a super quick read. If it, It's something you want to grab and like just sort of marvel over the the artwork and like the quick story it's kind of like to me felt like like a saturday morning thing that you just you would uh you would get through and uh not really spend that much time like digging into the like we said the mythology which could like could uh give or take some of those pages but but really to just enjoy a quick story for the sake of a story like you have you have moments where you're like uh, maybe you go to a coffee shop with a friend, and it's like a it's they're reading a book, and then you want something to just flip through and sort of enjoy. It's it's something like that. It's it's not a a really deep philosophical thing that you want to uh, uh, keep keep digging into or getting more details about. How did you how did you feel about it like overall? Uh, did you think it was worth a read or worth the nine bucks or so it's worth on Amazon or? Or what did you think about the art as well as the story? So I would say overall, I you know I thought the story was you know on a on a on a scale of uh, oh here 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 can be our, our measuring scale. Uh, comic Go for comics it. were originally four colors, four color comics. So on a scale of one to four colors, <laughs> that's that's what we can do. Uh, Excellent. On you know graphically, you know it's not necessarily my favorite art style, but I thought the I thought it was beautiful. I thought it served the story well. I would give it four. We have four colors out of four. Um, no doubt, Re- really, yeah, I would too. Um, and I'm surprised that you would give it that because it, it's not necessarily your cup of tea from a story perspective. Or well, I would, that's that's uh, or that's the art, art the art perspective. So oh, okay, story, okay, you're judging art in this yeah, story. Sto- story, <laughs> I would give it a three. I give it three colors. Still, still good. It, it, right. That's still a good rating in, in my mind. You know, it's one of those things where I think there are some some things in the story that could have been different. I would have liked better. Um, I think I think that you could have very easily gotten rid of those two pages of exposition, um, and and with a line at the end, and kind of been like you know like right. if that oh, robot yeah, that had said so- later. said something along the lines of we should never have given them the grand photon or whatever you know like anything like that. Um, you know, could have gotten rid of those two pages and makes those two pages kind of feel gratuitous, just yeah. just in terms of the amount of information that it's imparting. That's not even necessarily needed to make the story beautiful and amazing. Um, could be consolidated in one line, like you just mentioned. Yeah, like it's just one of those things where, like, <laughs> I, I I don't think that knowing that, knowing that, like, like the two pages and knowing why this war started and, and like the metaphor of. You know, because the metaphor, the metaphor of it all is that, like, aliens came down, an alien species came down to this planet, gave them technology that they couldn't handle, so they started warring over it with the technology, and then, 
and then it, it, it crumbles their society. I mean, it's the same kind of theme that's talked about. It's a about. concept, yeah, we're all sort of exhausted with. I mean, uh, it's, it's talked about so it's in Star Trek. So it's hard to freshen up. Yeah, it's just talked about in Star Trek a lot. Like, it's the prime directive. We don't advance a civilization right. that, that can't necessarily handle it. Like, it's, a, right. it's that same idea, but, like... But I still think that like the personal story of Arya and Jelly Beans and their struggle in this world was what makes it interesting. Yeah, it's endearing with with Arya, especially Arya and Jelly Beans, like you just spoke to. Um, that I mean, that really is the thing that pulled me on and on, like even all the way through to the end. It made the ending special and good, um, and just is what it. From a perspective of story, I think that the um, the author, creator, artist. Um, really could look at like more of a, a Joseph Campbellian standpoint, like like more of that perspective of storytelling in this, especially if you're going to tell a story in this short amount of pages. I think it's really important to stay within those that rubric of storytelling, and um, and and to not necessarily budge out of it like with with mythologies like at the beginning that are more like like you say gratuitous and extraneous to just one line you can put in at the end. Like, how, how do you feel about that? Like, from a storytelling perspective, and then I'll say my ratings after you get your answer. From a storytelling... Oh, and also, I want to rate the color, too, because I think the coloring is also really important. There's, like... Like, I think right. I think colorists don't get enough credit for a lot of things, um, and I think the coloring is so totally. important. Like, and, and I think it's a, su- and it's a super important choice, as we're going we're gonna to be reviewing comics that are black and white. We're going to be reviewing comics that you know, aren't comics that are digitally painted or painted traditionally by hand. Like, like we're watercolor, watercolor the whole works. you know, we're going to go into all those. And so I think that that's another rating I want to give. And I, I want to give it a, I want to give it a four. I loved it. I think it served the yeah, art me really too. well. Yeah, me too. Um, and I think, you know, there's so many stories that I've read that, that like the coloring throws me off or the art throws me off of the story or, or I feel like the art and the coloring don't necessarily go together. Like one example of that, which I think is very interesting, is um, is Alan Moore's The Killing Joke. Uh, the Killing Joke, originally, if you look at the original uh, co- uh, graphic novel or comic or whatever the hell you want to call it, if you, uh, co- if you look at the original comic, it's a different coloring style than the re-releases. Oh, interesting. I, did, I didn't know that. I just have the, the finished graphic novel, the hardback. Well, so, and, and, and I'd have to see which one you have because I know it's a recent thing, but recently they recolored it and, 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 and they made the coloring completely different and it's a very interesting choice because the artist didn't like the coloring on the original comic. That, and this is a comic that is so well known and so widely spread and people and it's definitely interesting. Yeah. It's definitely different. It's definitely it's a lot of people's favorites of that of that of the Batman universe. Yeah. The Killing Joke. And so, you know, it's not one of my personal favorites, but but like it was just an interesting to think cuz I have I have The Killing Joke. Um, I have a a paperback version of it and then I have a digital version of it as well. And the paperback version that I have, I might actually have two different versions of it digitally. I'd have to look. But the paperback version I have is the original coloring, and then the digital version is not. And it's just – it's very interesting to me that they would go back and do something like that. So like, so coloring I think is extremely important and doesn't get yeah, enough I'm, credit. I'm with you. Um, I, just really quickly, I, I, I like you, give it a four on color and, and, uh, and art. And, and story, um, you know, I'd probably, uh, I'd probably give it a, a, a two. 
Um, really? You give it any that be, low? Because, be, yes, because um, it's just, it's not a, it's, for me, it's more about a, a visual, like this is his sequential art style is, um, is fantastic. And, and I think really carries the weight and, and like carries way too much of it. I mean, that's why I gave it fours on both. Uh, because it carries so much of this, um, of this book on visuals. I mean, it is a graphic novel, but it, it, it that's what gets me through it. Like as an artist and like sort of a, a visual like um, learner and it, like a person experienced like a total visual file of just soaking all that in his line work and and the coloring and like what color choices. But the story, like if it was in any other like subpar art style or coloring if, even if the coloring was like way off or muddy or i i wouldn't read the thing that's fair and that's 100 percent fair and that's a, an interesting perspective that you have because like personally i'm not so, so you're an artist i'm not i can't draw to save my life but to me i love when a, especially a graphic novel is is able to tell a lot of the story through the art um and and so i think i think being that this is written and drawn by the same guy, uh, you know. I think that the drawings tell just as much about the writing, you know, and, and that I like it a lot more when an image can tell me a story than necessarily just all exposition. And so I thought there was a nice balance of that. Um, so it's interesting that you'd have yeah, that totally. that you'd have that perspective. But I think it's but I think it's that's worth noting as you know you're coming to this with that in mind and I think that's very yeah it's, it, it was it was just very weak as far as the um, the structure was concerned uh, it, fr- from my my read of it I, I think there was a there could have been a lot more like research done by the the artist and creator and writer yeah the, the, they could make they could make this uh, you know be a 444 and and just be be something that I would be begging for like another uh, volume of or another uh, sequel but you know, I just kind of um, you're okay with kind of take it for what it is. Now. You're okay with just this one issue, and oh yeah, yeah. And if you tell me what you think, like, do you think that you wanted more, or do you, do you think that you're no. like, no, nah. no? I think it ended in a good place where I I leave the characters, and I, I don't really care about their further adventures. But that's also something to be said right. too. Is that like, I mean, and that's and that's is what is that what the artist is going for? If it is, then it's great. If it you know, but if it, if if leaving people wanting more is is a feeling that he was going for, this doesn't necessarily achieve it. But I think there's something to be said for just telling a singular story. Like not everything has to be a franchise. So that's you know that is what it is. Um, so overall, I would say I give this three and a half colors for everything combined. Three and a half colors out of four. What's your rating? Three and a half as well uh, for an overall. B. B. And, and what I build into that that rating is that is one guy that did all all three pillars that are necessary to create a graphic novel like this, and it's it's executed, you know, extremely well, set for the subpar story structure, in, in my opinion. That's and, and there we go. So, uh, so but but don't listen to what we're saying. Obviously, go. Hopefully, you have read it before you listen to this. But if you haven't, go read it. <laughs> uh, and, and and make up your own minds because obviously we're coming to this with different point of views we're coming to this with different uh uh feelings and 
and, and uh, everybody's different. So everybody's uh, not necessarily a unique snowflake, but everybody is different. So yeah, and they say you never read the same book twice. So we, I I may even have a different perspective on the story if I read it through again and say, oh, there's something I missed. But so that's good. So. This has been the first episode of our, our podcast. I'm glad you could join us. So the way that we're gonna we're gonna do this is that Brennan is gonna pick a comic and then I'll pick a comic and then we'll we'll, we'll right. take turns. So so Brennan picked this one. So for the next issue, we're gonna do uh, one of my personal favorites, um, done by one of my favorite artists, Sean Murphy. We're gonna do Punk Rock Jesus, which Punk Rock Jesus, which was a I believe it was six issues originally, and I have all six issues individually. And then I bought the graphic novel, I think, twice because I bought it. Which is what I have. I have the paper, the paperback graphic novel. Uh, see, I have uh, I have the six issues in print, and then I have uh, I bought it digitally twice because originally it wasn't it wasn't sold on like Comixology or anything like that. Um, and so I bought it on okay. the Apple. Uh, it was either on the Apple the Apple Store or it might have been on uh, Barnes and Noble, uh, their Nook app or something. Um, so hurry up and read it, guys, read it. Uh, because we're going to review it. And uh, and it's it's a it's a it's a vertical title. So it's Punk Rock Jesus Vertigo. Um, by Sean Murphy, he writes and draws it, and it's it's black and white, and so you really see all the detail that he puts in his art because I believe he inks it as well. I'd have to check on that, but um, he's he's incredible. So. Uh, so that's it, though, for our first episode. Thanks for joining us. That's it, guys. Join us next time for Punk Rock Jesus. It wins the, in just the title from then on. <laughs> well, for me, and that's and that's why I picked it up originally. I originally saw it in in a comic book store, but we'll talk about that next time. Um, so join us, join us next time for for Punk Rock Jesus. Uh, we've been your hosts, uh, Matt Curley and Brennan Kahn. Have a good week, everybody. Have a good one.